morning. Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Yes! Is this working? Even indoors, in the weird world of isolation, good news was happening everywhere. Thank you, man. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, my God, this is such an exciting honor for me. You are my newest and biggest hero. And on a personal note, this week actually brought a whole lot of good news because it marks 15 years since this haircut was born. Hello, to this highly produced show. This is what happens when I self-isolate. I guarantee you that the bottom half of what you have on does not match the top. <laughs> We're all longing for some good news. At the height of the pandemic, lockdowns in 2020, actor and filmmaker John Krasinski, who you just saw there, created a YouTube show, which that was the promo for, SGN, Some Good News. It was a YouTube show that was simply dedicated entirely to reporting good news. And it was filmed from his home in Brooklyn during the height of the pandemic lockdowns. Each episode, Krasinski discussed several feel-good stories, and he interviewed celebrity guests to join in the conversation. And it was wildly successful. Because, friends, we are all longing to hear some good news. And for as fun and uplifting as that show was, the good news that Krasinski brought could not and did not actually change anything. He brought good news, friends, but the only thing that his good news could do for us was distract us from the bad news of the day. His good news was powerless to change the bad news. It could simply distract us from it. Friends, what we need is good news that doesn't just distract us. We need good news that deals with our bad news. 
We need good news that isn't just temporary, but good news that can transform. We need good news that offers us just not a reprieve from all that's going on. We need good news that rescues us from all the bad that's going on. And friends, that is the good news that Jesus Christ has come to offer us. That is what the Apostle Paul reminds us of in the reading today that Karen just read for us. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and the church in Camden and the church of all times. This is the good news. And right there in verse 1, he starts off and he says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. Now, now the word that's translated here as gospel is the Greek word euangelion, where we get our English word evangelical. Euangelion comes from two Greek words, eu meaning good, and angelon meaning a proclamation or a message. So literally, it means good news. And, and our word gospel comes from Old English, from gos, meaning good, and spiel, meaning story or news, good news. So, euangelion, gospel, they both mean good news. And friends, we are longing for some good news. And Paul says, hey, let me remind you. Let me remind you of the good news, the euangelion the gospel. And friends, unlike the good news that John Krasinski or anyone else could proclaim, that good news can only distract us. Paul says this is good news that doesn't just distract, it deals with. It deals with what's wrong. This isn't just a reprieve from what's going on. This is a promise of rescue from what's going on. This is good news that changes Everything. And friends, we need to understand this because this is vitally important. What Paul is talking about here and the message that we as the church have to offer to the world is not good advice. It's good news. It's not just good advice. It's good news. You know, one author that I was reading offered an excellent illustration of the difference between good advice and good news. He writes, imagine a young wife who nine months earlier sent her husband off to war. It's been a long, frightening, and lonely nine months. But a good friend gives her some sound and helpful advice to help her through. She says, be patient. Stay busy. Find yourself a good hobby and some projects to fill your time until your husband comes home. Keep writing him those letters. Stay strong. And the young wife will likely appreciate the advice, and she'll probably try to absorb and do it. It will be a help of sorts. But will that advice produce joy and relief? But now imagine that same young wife. Imagine the same friend comes over and instead of offering good advice, she speaks good news. Did you hear? The war is over. Your husband is coming home. That's the difference between good advice and good news. Good advice is something that we must do, something that we must change, while good news is saying something's been done, something has been changed, and you now benefit from it. Friends, every major world religion and philosophy only offers us good advice. We hear what we can do to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves acceptable to God. We learn how we can become a good person, how we can do good, what we must do to transcend this mortal life. 
what, how we can reach enlightenment or understanding. But friends, it's all just good advice. It's something that you and I must do. And the problem with all the good advice that you and I receive, whether it's religious or practical, is that none of us does all of it perfectly or consistently. I mean, I'm not going to have a show of hands, but how many of you showed up at your doctor at some point and your doctor advised you should exercise more and eat more thoughtfully? How's it going? None of us is consistent even when we receive really good advice. None of us does it perfectly. Even our most valiant efforts will fall short. Even our most, most ardent commitment fails. Friends, what we need most is not just good advice. Because that good advice, ultimately, you and I are powerless to keep it. What we need is good news. Good news that something has been done, that something has changed. Good news, the war has ended. And the Apostle Paul proclaims to those in Corinth and those in Camden and all the churches in between, this isn't just good advice that I'm giving you today. This is good news. This is the gospel. The gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you now stand. And Paul continues in verse 2. He says, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, so Paul writes, by this good news, you are being saved. Just notice, that's not past tense, you were saved. It's not future tense, you will be saved. It is present tense, you are being saved. It's something that right now you must hold on to and hold fast to. Friends, we never outgrow the gospel. We never outgrow the good news. Rather, we grow deeper into that good news. Deeper into the gospel. Our lives are spent holding fast to it and growing deeper into it. We are being saved. We are being transformed by the gospel. And friends, we find that the good news is not just that something has changed. So what we find here is that the good news is that we too can be changed. We too can be changed. And we hold to this good news and it changes us. We are being saved by the gospel. I mean, this morning we sang this truth. We sang it together when we sang Rock of Ages. The hymn proclaims we cannot and will not be saved by good advice. You know, you can give me all the good advice you want, but not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's commands. Should my passion never fade and my efforts all be weighed, all for sin could not atone. Good advice is useless because I'm powerless to perfectly and passionately keep the good advice that I'm given. So what I need and what you need is good news. The good news in the last line of that verse that says, All for sin could not atone, so you, you must save, and you alone. And friends, that's the good news. That's the gospel. Christ has saved us. The good news is that with Jesus Christ, with His coming, His death, and His resurrection, something has changed, and we are being changed. It's not the offer of good advice. It is the proclamation of good news. This is the gospel. And friends, what exactly is this good news that Paul is proclaiming to Corinth and to Camden and to every church in between? He continues in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. Now, now I just want to stop 
there for a moment. There's more to the verse, but just stop right there. This letter that we've been studying, working our way through, is a letter to the church in Corinth. And it was written about 55 A.D., which is just a few years before the Gospels were written. So what we actually have here in this letter is some of the earliest church tradition, the earliest Christian tradition. And Paul designates that this is of first importance. And he uses two important phrases here. He says, I delivered as I received. I delivered as I received. And that's the language you use in the passing on, the careful, careful, meticulous passing on of important oral tradition. Things that needed to be remembered exactly and held to. We actually heard Paul use this exact same terminology back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about the Lord's Supper. Because he said in 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. So friends, in both places, what's Paul's message? His message is, this didn't originate with me. I'm not the originator. This came to me from the earliest of Christians, the disciples themselves. They faithfully passed it to me. Now I'm passing it to you. And friends, this is significant for two important reasons we need to understand. First, first, what we have has been carefully and faithfully preserved and handed down to us from those who saw it with their own eyes, heard it with their own ears, experienced it with their own senses. They have reported it and carefully handed it down. And what Paul has is carefully preserved from those who were eyewitnesses. This is not theory. This is not fantasy. This is not speculation. This is carefully preserved and passed on eyewitness testimony to what happened. This, what you have right here, is how the earliest Christians described the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's recorded for us just a few years after the event itself. And the second reason that this is so important for us to understand is that we find that salvation is not going to come from within, but from without. Some today will tell you, do you know how to be saved? Do you want to know how to be saved? Look within. Find the light that is within you. Find what is true in you and to you. Salvation and enlightenment can only be found within. And Paul says, no, no. The way to salvation isn't going to be found inside you. It's come to us from outside. The truth has been handed down to us. Gospel truth, the good news, has been handed down. That's why creeds, like the creed that we all sang together today, I believe statements, are so important. They're so important because, friends, truth is received from outside of us. It is faithfully passed on to us. Truth is not what I feel or what I find within me. Truth is what is true apart from me. It's confirmed by others. It's been faithfully handed down to us today. Gospel truth has been revealed and it must be received. I believe this was their creed. This is my creed. Friends, is this your creed? Paul says, this is the gospel. This is the good news as I received it, as given to me from the earliest of witnesses, and now I'm giving it faithfully to you. And then he goes on to describe the gospel, and as we look at it, I want us to notice three things about it. There are three things about it that we see in verses 3 through 11. First, the gospel is central. The gospel is historical. 
And the gospel is radical. The gospel is central, historical, and radical. Now, first, it's central. Again, verse 3, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. As first importance. Now, for those of you that have been hanging around for a while, you know that the last two weeks, we were studying the chapter before this, 1 Corinthians 14, where it was talking about all kinds of things, speaking in tongues, speaking words of prophecy in the church. And I said early on in those sermons, I said, some of you will disagree with my understanding of these gifts and exactly what Paul is saying here. And I said, that's okay. We can disagree about the role of tongues or prophecy in the church today, and still we can be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Because that's a secondary issue. However, what Paul discusses here, he says, is of first importance. This is central. Friends, we cannot disagree on these issues and still say that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus Christ's death, His resurrection, this is the center of our faith. If you depart from holding to the truth of Paul's words here, you can no longer in any honest and truthful way call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is the center. This is of first importance. And he gives us what in Greek is actually a fourfold quotation. So verses 3 through 5 are a fourfold quotation. We hear four statements. First, verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Second, in verse 4, He was buried. Third, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And fourth, in verse 5, He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Four statements to summarize the good news that he's handing on, faithfully presenting to the church. First, the statement, Christ died for our sins. Friends, this is profound. Christ died and not for his own sins. Not for the wrong that he had done. It says Christ died for my sins. For your sins. For our sins. The statement doesn't go into detail about how this works, just that Jesus' death was for our sins. That somehow Jesus' crucifixion has brought us forgiveness and peace with God. Christian author C.S. Lewis explains it this way. He says, The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. And a good many different theories have been held as to how it works, But what all Christians are agreed upon is that it does work. Friends, this is the center. We know that there is something not right with this world. All we have to do is look at the news. And we know that the something that's not right with this world is something that's not right with us. We are the ones who are making a mess of this world and our relationships and our lives. The something that's not right with this world is something that's not right with us. We are born in rebellion. We are sinners, and because of that, we commit sins. And all the good things that you and I have left undone, they deserve God's just punishment. But in His goodness and mercy, Paul says, listen, Christ died for our sins. Paul affirms here that the very earliest of Christians understood that Christ's death somehow took care of our sins and set us right again with God the Father. 
Friends, this is good news because the good news is that something has changed. With the death of Jesus Christ, something has changed. Our relationship with God has changed. The barrier of our sin has been removed. Friends, this isn't good advice about how you and I can remove our sins. This is good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Something has been done. The war is over. And we can come into relationship with God. This is not advice. This is news. And friends, if you're here this morning and you have never heard or understood this good news, I pray that you hear it now. You don't need to have guilt and shame anymore for the wrongs you've done. Regret over the good that you've left undone. You need God's forgiveness and His love, which has come to us through Jesus Christ. Christ has died for our sins. And in doing so, He offers us now forgiveness and a new life with God. And if you've never accepted this good news as your own, please don't let today pass you by. I would love to talk to you following the service. Or if you're here online, I would love for you to email me so that we can chat later. So that you might know this good news as yours. And the second thing Paul writes is he continues, he says, Christ was buried. Now, that's the second statement. It's definitely the shortest. And there's no elaboration. Friends, the early disciples didn't want anyone to make any mistake. Jesus didn't just swoon or pass out on the cross and suddenly wake up. This wasn't a metaphor, and this wasn't a mistake. Jesus didn't just appear dead. Jesus was dead, and He was buried. And the third statement, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Friends, we find in the very earliest formulations of the faith a statement of resurrection. The resurrection wasn't developed later on, as some accuse. Some say that later on the disciples tried to explain this Jesus who they loved so much and explain, well, He actually rose from the dead. No. Friends, from the very earliest, the Christians were saying, no, He rose from the dead. This wasn't legend. This is history. And also twice we have Paul insist that all of this has happened in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you notice he says that twice? He says, this isn't some invention of humanity. This was foreseen and spoken of ahead of time in the Scripture long before it ever happened. For example, when Paul delivered a great speech speech in Acts chapter 13, he quoted both the prophet Isaiah and from the book of Psalms when in Acts 13 verses 34 through 37 he said, And as for the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, no more to return to corruption, as He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, He also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. Paul says this is all according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures foretold it. They foresaw it. This is no invention of man. This is the very plan of God confirmed by the Word of God. And this is good news for you and for me. And fourth, Paul declares, and then he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. Now, Cephas is simply the Apostle Peter, but his name in Hebrew was Cephas, and in Greek, Peter. So what Paul is saying in verses 5 through 8 with this list that he gives us, he goes, hey, listen, if you don't believe this happened, here's a list of witnesses. Go check it out for yourself. 
because the people that he lists, these were witnesses. They were still, many of them still alive. They could confirm or contradict the truthfulness of what was being proclaimed. Or consider when Peter boldly delivered his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter said, This Jesus Christ God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We saw it. We attest to it. And if you don't believe it, here's the list. Go talk to them. So friends, this, that leads us to the second point. The gospel is central, but the gospel is also historical. Friends, this really happened. This happened in history. Jesus was really born. He was really dead. He really rose. And there were real historical witnesses of it all. This is not philosophy. This is not mere morality. This is not ideology. Friends, this is history. The good news is that history, that reality is changed. This isn't just good advice about what you and I should do within the reality that we live in. This is good news that reality is now different. That the war is over, that we can come home to God. And Paul says from the very earliest, it has been understood that Jesus' death and His resurrection have changed reality. Our sins are forgiven. And then Paul's going to spend all the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 explaining how reality has changed Jesus really rose from the dead. And because Jesus really rose from the dead, death itself, reality has been defeated. Reality has changed. And because Jesus Christ has truly risen, and because death has truly been defeated, we have hope that one day you and I are going to rise just as Christ rose from the dead. Reality's changed. This is good News, the gospel is historical, changing history, and by changing history, it's changing our story today. Offering hope, if we hold to this gospel, that we too might be saved, that we too might be changed. And that leads to the third and final point. Friends, the gospel is central, the gospel is historical, and the gospel is radical. Now, now the word radical comes from Latin radix, meaning root. Radical means relating to or affecting the root, the fundamental nature of something. Friends, Paul says the gospel's radical. It changes us at the root. It transforms us fundamentally. And we hear Paul's testimony of the radically transformative power of the gospel in verses 8 through 11. He, he writes how he was once a persecutor of the church. He confesses, I'm utterly unworthy of the call, and yet by his grace, Jesus appeared to me, and he called me, and now I've been sent out. Paul says, the gospel's radical. And friends, this gives us hope because no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, the gospel can and will change you fundamentally, radically. And Paul talks about that transformation in verses 10 and 11. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached to you, and so you believed. Paul says, I received unmerited grace 
and I was radically transformed. It changed the very root of who I am, and now I live in grateful response to that grace. I cooperate with the grace that's at work within me, radically transforming me. Friends, the gospel isn't just something that you add on to your life. The gospel is not peripheral. It's radical. Friends, Jesus is not just another planet that you're going to add to your solar system. Jesus comes in and He's now the sun. And all of the planets of your solar system now revolve around Him. It's radical. It's the root. It's fundamental. It changes everything. We cannot just add Jesus to our life. Jesus adds us to His life. It's radical changing us, reordering us, Completely in reference now to Him. The good news is central, it's historical, and it's radical. And friends, this good news is better than any other good news that ever has been or ever will be proclaimed. And we need to understand that and proclaim that today because, friends, every generation offers counterfeit good news. In Paul's day, there were emperors like Caesar Augustus, who we meet every year again and again in the Christmas story, Acts Luke chapter 2, and the Caesar that followed him, Caesar Tiberius, and they were considered to be godlike because they had brought peace to the known world. And as such, the ascension of the emperor and also his birthday were celebrated in the Roman world as Evangelion, as good news. Good news! Hear good news, Rome! Hear good news, all of Roman's controlled lands. The good news is that Caesar is Lord. And as such, he demanded allegiance and worship from all of his subjects around the world. However, the Evangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ, came and challenged the good news that Caesar was Lord. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and 7, a riot broke out in Thessalonica. And this was the charge leveled against the Christians. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Jason's received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. The Christians came around and they said, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. They turned it all upside down. They said, there's another king, and his name is Jesus. The true good news is not Caesar. The good news is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, false gospels and false saviors have come and will continue to come. We will not be saved ever by any Caesar. We will not be saved by any government program or policy. We will not be saved by any political party or political figure. You will not find salvation in the graceless and demanding religion of wokeness. You will not find salvation in any gender ideology or racial theory. You will not find salvation in fundamentalism or patriotism. There is no good news in those. The declaration Jesus is Lord challenges every other Lord that would set itself up against him in this world. Caesar is not Lord. I am not Lord. You are not Lord. Popular opinion is not Lord. Sexual identity is not Lord. Self-righteous legalism is not Lord. The spirit of this age is not Lord. My desires are not Lord. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. He alone has changed history. He alone has changed reality. The gospel is that Jesus Christ alone can and will radically change us 
as He's changed history, as He's defeated sin and overthrown death itself. Friends, this world needs some good news. News like we saw at the beginning of the sermon can only give us a reprieve and a distraction, but we need good news that offers us a rescue. And that is what the Gospel of Jesus Christ does. Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you know the forgiveness of sins, the hope of the resurrection, the power to live a new and a transformed life? And church, is this good news central to your belief, to your life, to your proclamation? Or are you just trying to add on Jesus into your life? Have you invited Him to come in and to radically reorient and change you and to change everything? Being deeply transformed by His grace, growing deeper and deeper daily into His Gospel. Friends, what stops you from being transformed by this good news today? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the good news. Because, Lord, we need good news. Not to distract us, but to deliver us. And so thank You that reality has changed. That the world is now different because Jesus Christ has died and has risen again. And because history has changed and Reality is different. We, too, can be changed. We, too, can have hope now and forevermore. Father, help us to live that hope. Help us to proclaim that hope. May that hope transform us, this community, and this world. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In closing, please stand and sing with us. Salvation belongs to our God.